Our children are being taught in elementary school that evolution is a fact. By the time they reach sixth grade, they're being taught that we evolved from ape-like creatures. I want to welcome to Creation Radio and TV. I'm your host, Mike Riddle, and our topic today is the origin of humans. Did we really evolve from ape-like creatures, or does the Bible have something different to say? Does the Bible even leave room that we evolve from ape-like creatures? Well, let's start with what the Bible actually has to say. And I'll make this very bold statement, because it is a truth statement from the Bible. And that is, God did not create ape-man, nor did He allow for any apes to evolve into humans. And we see this in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, where it clearly states that God created everything in six literal days. And He made man on day six, the same day He made the land animals. Also in Mark 10 verse 6, Jesus Christ makes this statement, But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. There we have the basis of marriage. But also notice what it says, but from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. Jesus Christ is telling us that man and woman were on this planet from the beginning of the creation, not after millions of years. Therefore, the Bible clearly teaches man did not evolve from ape-like creatures. So let's look at four facts now. Four biblical facts that we get from those two verses, are actually Genesis 1 and 2 and Mark 10 verse 6. If you're believing that humans evolved from ape-like creatures, then the words of Jesus Christ are wrong in Mark 10 verse 6. And folks, if Jesus is wrong there, maybe He's not God because He's not perfect. And if He's not God, then we're still dead in our sins. Do you see what a belief in human evolution does? It teaches that Jesus was not perfect. Fact two from the Bible. If you're believing in human evolution, then you've just thrown away the entire foundation for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because what you're teaching now is death before sin. Because if humans evolved from ape-like creatures, that means there would be millions of years of death and decay all before Adam and Eve, and all before sin. If sin is not the cause of death, then who or what is? Are we as humans, and even some Christians, shaking our fist at God, saying, God, it's your fault for all the troubles we have, and not our very own sin? That's what a belief in human evolution means. Also, biblical fact number three, if you're believing we evolved from ape-like creatures, then you're teaching that God called death and decay and disease very good. In Genesis 1.31, God looks back on His entire creation and calls His entire creation very good. Folks, does that really include death, decay, and disease? If it does, we have a different character for our God. And finally, number four, biblical fact. If you're believing in human evolution, then what you're basically saying is the Bible is wrong, and why do you even bother to read it anymore? Now, let's turn to some science. We see the Bible clearly teaches God did not create ape man and He left no room for a human evolution. I'd like to take us through two scientific misconceptions that are commonly used in our textbooks to promote that humans evolved from ape-like creatures. Number one, we'll deal with chimpanzee and human DNA. It's commonly taught our DNA is only about 2% different than what we find in chimpanzees. 
Misconception number two deals with the mechanism for change. How could an ape-like creature evolve into a human being? What would be the mechanism that would allow this to happen? Let's go back and get scientific misconception number one, that chimp and human DNA are only different by about 2%. Well, it turns out the original comparisons used only a small portion of the DNA. They only looked at the parts that seemed to be similar. They left out all the parts that were not similar. In other words, the results were biased and not based on honest, objective, scientific research. Is this what evolution is really about? Now, new studies have been done on the comparisons of our DNA. And the new comparisons of the whole genome, not just the parts that seem to be similar, but the whole genome, have revealed differences of greater than 20% in our DNA. In other words, we're not even close in our DNA between humans and chimpanzees. Now, Jeffrey Tompkins, who has his PhD in genetics, makes this statement. A recent study compared chimpanzee chromosomes to their similar human counterpart chromosomes using highly optimized DNA matching conditions and found that the chimpanzee genome was only 70% similar to human overall. In other words, we're not even close, folks. What they're teaching in the school systems is fantasy. It's fiction. It is not science. Now, a microbiologist and a neurobiologist both make this statement. The claim of 98% similarity between chimpanzee and humans is not only deceptive and misleading, but also scientifically incorrect. And then John Sanford, a PhD in genetics, makes this statement. In fact, we know man and chimp differ at more than 150 million nucleotide positions. In other words, there is a vast difference between humans and chimpanzees. There's over 150 million differences in our DNA. Folks, it wouldn't happen in a three million years. It wouldn't happen in a billion years, that difference to be made up by so-called evolutionary mechanisms. So what again, what we're teaching in our schools is not accurate information. Now let's go to scientific misconception number two. The mechanism for change. How could this happen? Is, is there any mechanism for a human being evolved from an ape-like creature? And the mechanisms evolutionists use are called mutations and natural selection. So how is this all supposed to work? Well, to start with, evolutionists throw in millions and millions of years. Then every once in a while, a mutation occurs, and it's beneficial. And finally, through some selection process, we select only the beneficial one and leave out all the ones that are old and non-beneficial. This story, however, has never been observed. It is not observational science, but yet it's taught as a fact. Let me read you a quote from a professor of genetics and also a leading evolutionist. He states, the typical mutation is very mild. It usually has no effect, but shows up as a small decrease in viability or fertility. Each mutation leads ultimately to one genetic death. Did you hear what you just said? Mutations are not good. 
So where are these so-called beneficial ones that add new information? Now, John Sanford again, PhD in genetics, makes this statement. Amazingly, there are still no known mutations which unambiguously create or add information, not even the ones that are considered to be beneficial. Yes, there may be a few beneficial ones, but not one of them has been recognized to add new genetic information. They might copy it, make an additional copy, but none of them add new genetic information. Now here's a quote from a medical doctor who has studied mutations, and he states this. Are there good mutations? Evolutionists can point to a small handful of cases in which a mutation has helped a creature to survive better than those without it. Actually, they need to take a closer look. Such good mistakes are still the wrong types of changes to turn a fish into a philosopher. They are headed in precisely the wrong direction. Rather than adding information, they destroy information or corrupt the way it can be expressed. Not surprisingly, since they are random mistakes. And many other scientists would agree with this. There are no known mutations that have added genetic information. So again, in our education system, we are teaching a fantasy, something never observed. The observable science demonstrates that mutations do not add genetic information. They either subtract information or they diminish the functionality of the information in there. Now, let's turn to the second part of the mechanisms, natural selection. Three things about natural selection we need to know. Number one is, if natural selection actually worked, and I say if it actually worked the way we're taught, it could not add anything. See, natural selection, if it worked, could only select from what's already there. So we need to keep that in mind. It does not add any information. Second, there is no external force that can really do any selecting. See, the environment has no brains. It's an inanimate object. So it has no selecting power. The environment is just something we get exposed to. And then third, what actually allows things to vary is what is called the pre-programmed information that's already in our DNA. That's what allows creatures to vary within kind, pre-programmed information in our DNA. The question is, where did that vast amount of information in our DNA come from? That is the key question that must be answered if we want to believe in any form of human evolution. Now, since mutations do not add new information and natural selection doesn't add anything new, the only possible answer we are left with is this, an all-powerful, all-knowing Creator God. Now, since the evolutionists have ruled out this possibility, they are forced to believe in unobserved stories, unobserved stories and add in millions of years of time. See, this is the problem. All this evolution is being taught as a fact when in fact it has not been observed. See, evolutionists are basically relying, basically relying on time, millions of years of time to work their miracles. 
They're relying on something that has not been observed to form their miracles. So the ultimate question regarding the story of human evolution is this. Can the evolutionist show any observational evidence for where that vast amount of information in our DNA came from that does not require us to use faith? That is the ultimate question about human evolution. The only answer we seem to get from the evolutionists is that over millions of years of time, mutations added new information. First thing about that statement, millions of years of time has never been observed. So that means the evolutionist story is based on faith, not observable science. And secondly, mutations do not add new genetic information. So the whole story that we're being taught is not scientific, it is faith. This means the argument about human evolution, folks, it's over. There is no mechanism for how one creature can evolve into another. The, the whole argument is over right here and now. This means evolution is nothing more than a made-up story. Now get this. We as Christians need to understand this fully. Evolution, human evolution, is nothing more than a made-up story to do away with a powerful, all-knowing Creator God. You cannot have it both ways. Now with this conclusion, with this conclusion, now let's take a look at some of the amazing stories the evolutionists have come up with called intermediate links. Those so-called intermediate links between apes and humans. Now we also must understand that the evolutionist starting point is the assumption of evolution and millions of years. They, have, they are compelled to reach these conclusions which are biased and unscientific and unobserved. Not because of any known science, but because of their belief system. And again, their belief system starts with millions of years in the assumption of evolutionism. Now, some of the creatures we're going to look at, let's just look at five of them. Let's look at Piltdown Man, Nebraska Man, Ramapithecus, this famous creature called Lucy, and Neanderthals. We'll just look at those five. Let's start with Piltdown Man. Piltdown Man was discovered in 1912 in Piltdown, England, hence its name Piltdown Man. It was featured in textbooks and encyclopedia for almost 50 years as the fact of evolution. And it was claimed to be the missing link 500,000 years old. However, in 1953, scientists took another look at the bones, and what they discovered was something rather amazing. The bones had been chemically stained. Now, what bones did they find? Well, there was a portion of a human skull and a portion of a lower ape-like jawbone and some teeth. These had been chemically stained to make them appear old. The whole thing was a hoax. And that lasted for 50 years. In spite of the careful scrutiny by many scientists, the hoax lasted for 50 years in the secular school system. This is another example of how people's preconceived 
ideas, meaning evolution can take precedence over observational science. <clears throat> Number two, let's look at Nebraska man. 1922, fossil evidence was found to support human evolution. In the London Illustrated News, there was a picture of Nebraska man, his wife, and family. The claim was Nebraska man was one million years old. And here is being taught again another intermediate link. Now, what was actually found to give him all this information to draw Nebraska man, his wife, and family? Well, the entire part of the fossil evidence included a single tooth. That's all that was found. And they were able to draw the entire creature from this? Folks, there's another example of preconceived notions, a belief system taking precedence over observable science. Because it turned out that tooth was not an ape's tooth, it was not a human's tooth, it was a pig's tooth. What a famous error that one was. So there's two examples of belief system taking precedence over observable science. Now let's go to a third creature, Ramapithecus. In 1977, Time magazine ran an article and it stated, Ramapithecus is ideally structured to be an ancestor of hominids. If he isn't, we don't have anything else that is. That was in 1977. However, seven years earlier in 1970, a baboon still living in Ethiopia was discovered. And guess what they discovered about this baboon? It had the same dental structure as Ramapithecus. And incidentally, that's all they found was a jawbone and some teeth. And this creature had the same dental structure. Very similar morphological features found on Ramapithecus. In other words, this creature wasn't old. This creature was still living. So Ramapithecus was dropped from the human evolution line. There is a third mistake based on a belief system rather than science. Now let's go to one of our really famous creatures, Lucy. Now Lucy is what we call a type of Australopithecine. Australo means southern, Pithecine, ape-like creature. In other words, we find these fossils in the southern parts of Africa, hence their name Australopithecine, southern ape-like creatures. And Lucy happens to be one of the most famous creatures that has been discovered. And Lucy is put in many of the textbooks as the fact of human evolution. Well, let's look at some of the facts. First, Lucy had the brains, the jaws, the limbs, and inner ears of an ape. Now, ape ribs are very conical in shape, but human ribs are very barrel-shaped, and Lucy's were identical to an ape's. Lucy also had a very small, chimp-like head. Now, a quote from an anthropologist and a paleoanthropologist, as they wrote in the journal Nature, that much of the rest of Lucy's body, the species Australopithecus afarensis, is also and I quote here, quite ape-like with respect to its relatively long and curved fingers, relatively long arms, and funnel-shaped chest. These are scientists actually observing and analyzing the bones, not looking at the pictures drawn by artists in our textbooks. Peter Schmidt, paleontologist at the Anthropological Institute in Zurich, Switzerland, who has studied Lucy extensively, 
makes this statement. When I started to put the skeleton together, I expected it to look human. Everyone had talked about Lucy as being very modern, very human. So I was surprised by what I saw. I noticed that the ribs were more round in cross-section, more like what you see in apes. Human ribs are flatter in cross-section, but the shapes of the rib cage itself was the biggest surprise of all. The human rib cage is barrel-shaped, and I just couldn't get Lucy's ribs to fit this kind of shape. But I could get them to make a conical-shaped rib cage like what you see in apes. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the real bones. But yet, in our textbooks, we're hiring artists to redraw these pictures to make them look human-like. This is not science. This is not education. This is 100% deception. Is this what evolution needs to support evolution? Deception? Deceit? Now, in an article that appeared in the journal New Scientist, an evolution made this statement. Lucy, alias Australopithecus afarensis, had a skull very like a chimpanzee's and a brain to match. In addition, three scientists from the departments of anatomy, anthropology, and zoology at Tel Aviv University reported in the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences that the jawbone of the Lucy species is a close match to the gorillas. See, evolutionists are claiming that Lucy is a transitional species and a human ancestor, even though it has a head exactly like a modern-day ape. See, the jaw is thrust forward and the forehead pushed back and slanted, just exactly like an ape. The hands and feet are identical to modern apes. The jawbone is ape-like. The brain capacity is ape-sized, not human. The shoulder sockets were ape-like and not human. And the pelvic structure is identical to an ape's and not a human. So what was Lucy? An extinct ape-like creature. And what the evolutionists have done is redrawn Lucy and elevated her to be a human ancestor. This is not science. This is fantasy. Now let's look at the final one, Neanderthals. There are hundreds of Neanderthals we have found, so we have lots of evidence to study. Let's take a look at some facts about Neanderthals. They buried their dead, which is a fully human thing. They made complex tools for hunting. They had a larger, on the average, they had a larger brain capacity than we do today. They made and played musical instruments. Their DNA is well within the human range. Neanderthal anatomy is essentially the same in scope with the same number of bones as humans, which function in the same manner, and they were capable of full speech. Let me give you the conclusion. This comes from Dave Phillips, who is a physical anthropologist. Neanderthals were human. They buried their dead, used tools, had a complex social structure, employed language, and played musical instruments. Neanderthal anatomy differences are extremely minor and can be, for the most part, explained as a result of a genetically isolated people that lived a rigorous life in a harsh, cold climate. Now, how do you make an ape-man? Let me give you four ways to make an ape-man, according to evolutionists. Number one, you upgrade fossils to have human characteristics. In other words, you find an ape fossil and you upgrade it to have human characteristics. That was the case in Lucy. Number two, you can downgrade human fossils to make them look more ape-like. That was the case in Neanderthals. Or you can combine ape parts with human parts, and that's what they did with Piltdown Man. Or what they do in our schools, the higher artists 
draw pictures of eight men rather than present the real facts. See, our textbooks are a great place of miseducation and deception. Three things we need to ask our educators. Three things about our educators. Number one, many of our educators don't seem to know the truth of what they teach. Now, that is partially their fault, but it also lays at the foot of the university professors. They're afraid to teach the truth. They don't want to teach the truth because their belief system says they cannot accept any creator God. So they will teach misinformation. Or some of our teachers are simply afraid to teach the truth because they might lose their job. And that is true. If you teach the truth and not evolution, you could lose your job. And these teachers do have families, and we have to consider that. Or third, some teachers are deliberately teaching wrong information. In any of these cases, in any of these cases, how can a teacher with any integrity tell their students to be honest and not cheat on their test when they themselves are teaching incorrect and deceptive information? Now the claim that evolution is possible because of millions of years is a very false claim. It is only based on faith. Teachers need to be made aware of this. We need to make sure our teachers know the truth about evolution. They need to know the truth, what they're teaching. They need to know that they're really not teaching real information. They need to know that no one has ever observed millions of years, therefore that's a faith statement. They need to know that mutations really don't add new genetic information. And they need to know that natural selection is just a very nebulous term. We need to challenge them with three questions about natural selection. Number one, what is it and how does it work? To make the statement evolution, natural selection causes evolution does not answer the question. I want to know what is it and how does it work? Number two, who or what is the intelligence behind this natural selection? And number three, can you provide any observational evidence for where the vast amount of information in our DNA came from? that does not require me to use faith. We need to challenge our teachers on this. We need to train our students to put these in their papers and ask their teachers those three questions. See, the truth is, for the last 150 years since Darwin, evolution has been searching for the intermediate links. All they've been able to produce are mistakes, so-called facts that were later shown to be false, and pictures drawn by artists. How can it be possible that so many scientists, textbook authors, and professors could be wrong about their belief in evolution. The only possible answer is this, that biological evolution is a devout religious philosophy that must be supported at all cost. That is the only answer, legitimate answer. They're looking for scientific evidence to support evolution while ignoring the mountain of evidence of the alternative conclusion, and that is there's an all-powerful, all-knowing Creator God who made us. Now let's look what this Creator God has told us in His Word. In Genesis 1.26, He makes this statement. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 
We were made in the image and likeness of God from the very beginning. Also in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6, our Creator states this, You alone are the Lord. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and everything on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve them all. The host of heaven worship you. Then in Mark 10, verse 6, our Creator makes this statement, But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. In Colossians 1.16, our Creator makes this statement, For by Him all things were created, that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through Him and for Him. And finally, in Romans 1.19 and 20, our Creator states this, Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. There is no excuse, folks. We were made in the image and likeness of God, and we are not animals. We need to make sure we teach our children the truth about humans. There is no human evolution. We were made in our Creator's image and likeness. Thank you, and God bless you. If these lessons had been a blessing to you, you might consider financially supporting the Ministry of Creation Training Initiative. You can do this by going to our website, creationtraining.org. Again, that's creationtraining.org. Your tax-deductible donation of just $20, $50 or more a month, or a one-time gift of any amount will make you an education partner in building an army of Christian educators who can teach the biblical account of creation and train others to be able to defend their faith and be biblically faithful to God's word as it states in 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear.